Good morning, welcome. Uh, my name is Christy, this is Michelle. We are both part of the staff team here at New Life. If we have not met you or you're new, please come find us. We would love to meet you and hear your story. Um, we're up here to do three-ish things. These are three things we want you to be aware of that are coming up that you can plug into and join in. So the first thing is we are, I don't know if you noticed when you came in, we are going to revamp our testimony wall. So for the longest time down this hallway, we've had testimonies that were up there for like three years, I think, very long time. So I took them down and then Simon said, put them back up. So I did. So, but what we need is we need your testimonies. Oh, he said it in a nice way, like he asked nicely. Um, we need your testimonies. So up on the screen behind me, you see a QR code. If you are savvy that way, all you have to do is open up your phone's camera, focus on that, and it's gonna take you to our testimony page. You can fill that out, have some information you need to give us, and then as they come in, Hopefully, I'm hoping that we can have four for next week. There's four slots out there. I would love to hear from you, and then we'll rotate them out. And this is just a way for us to be able to put a testimony, especially with a face. We're going to have your photo up there as well. Um, and it's a way for us to get to know each other better as a church and as a way to be encouraged by each other's testimony. Um, you can also find the QR code out in the hallway. The picture frames are between the um, family washroom and the women's washroom, and you can see more information. And if you have questions, please come talk to me or one of the staff. All right. I'm not as good at winging it as you are, so I'm going to read it. Um, Family Effects has a work party coming up at Camp Hamadine from the evening of Friday, April 28th to the morning of Sunday, April 30th. Space is limited. There's only room for 10 families, but I've been told that there's only seven spaces left now. So you need to sign up quickly. Uh, the entire group will be staying in the Willows Lodge with a room for each family. Each room includes a washroom and there are shower, shared showers down the hall and a shared kitchen. Those of you with kids, don't worry. There's going to be some fun things for them so that they can be involved as well. In order to take a load off all of you for doing shopping for food and whatnot, Mark and Sarah Williams are going to do the shopping for you and then everybody's going to chip in and cover the costs of that. Uh, and I think that's probably pretty good. The only thing I will... The only thing I will... Third time. The only thing I will add is I did look at the weather and summer is coming, y'all. I know it does. Yes, we can clap for that. That's very it's gonna important. Be, it, yeah. It's going to be like low 20s. So, because I know for me that if it was raining all weekend, I wouldn't consider it because I melt in the rain. So, so sign your family up. It's going to be a great time. Um, last one is if you also, lots of new things this week. Our back patio, if you had a look out there, it is not the same as it was last week, Sunday. Um, we had a crew here Friday and Saturday um, digging it out, putting in drainage, um, putting in crush, all sorts of things. We want this space to be a little bit more usable. So this is going to be ready for our picnic next Two Sundays from now, May 7th, we're going to two services. If you missed that announcement, May 7th, we will be moving from a service at 9 to, and a service at 11. But what we want to do is make sure that we are still gathering together as one church body, that we don't just, our ships in the night. So on the morning of, the, of May the 7th, the morning of our two services, um, things will go as normal. Um, and when the 11 o'clock service starts, I love the kids in here. If your kids are making noise, don't apologize, by the way. We love it. Um, uh, we're going to have kind of normal in-between service gathering, and then when the 11 o'clock service starts, we're going to invite the 9 o'clock servicers to head out. There's going to be lawn games, barbecue, and then as soon as the 11 o'clock service ends, 
we, I say we because I'm going to the 11 o'clock, we will all join you. Um, so that's just a way for us to gather together. The weather is looking to be good, so we hope that you'll consider that. Um, the other thing is we want to have places for people to sit. So our hope and our plan is to get some picnic tables, and we are either build them or buy them. We're assuming that cost is going to run around $500 per table. So. If this is something that might interest you, um, we're welcoming and opening it up to sponsor a picnic table. Um, we'd love to have lots out there because again, we want this space to be usable not only for our church community, but for the wider church community that's here through the week. So if that's something you're interested in, I'm gonna say talk to Simon. Yeah, talk to that guy about that. Yeah, so we hope to see you on May 7th and that you'll stick around and um, have some chicken with us. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Uh, just before we dismiss the kids, uh, I am going to introduce some new members to you, which is really exciting. So I'm going to invite those three families up now while I'm talking. The Williamses, the Stibbs, and the Fasts, come on up. Don't be shy. Um, membership is one of those funny things that we, we do here. You know, baptism, that makes sense, right? It's in the Bible. It, um, we do all kinds of other ceremonies. We do weddings, those kinds of things. Uh, membership is a bit vague, and sometimes people say, why do we do membership? What does that even mean? And I know for us, you know, the Bible talks a lot about being one body in Christ, and so it's really about being that body. And so as, as these fine families who I'm going to introduce to you in just a moment join us in member, membership, they're really saying to you, New Life Church, we want to join with you. We want to be a part of this body. We're committing to be a part of this body with our attendance, with our finances, with our time, and all of you are doing all those things, I can say, um, which is beautiful. And it's a chance for you as people that are already a part of that body to then see these new members and to commit back to them. We want to support you as you raise your families, as you join us in this journey, as we all work together to further the mission of Christ. It's a, it's a two-way commitment. And so that's why we bring people up and we introduce them. Uh, as they join in membership. If you are interested in becoming a member, please do reach out to me and I'd be happy to give you more information about that. Let me take a minute and introduce, we are not going to hear from everybody today, that would take a very long time, but I do want to introduce them. I'm sure most of them you already know. I'll start on my right. So we have Mark and Sarah Williams. They of course lead our family um, experience ministry and they will be out at Camp Imadine next weekend. And their children, Seth and Jody in the back and Megan in the front. And wonderful. Next, I'll get out of the way. In the middle, we have the Fast family, Dave and Corrine Fast, and their children, Lauren and Xavier. And then over here is Phil. His wife, Emily, is home with Levi, did you say? And so Phil and Emily Stibbs, and I had to write your kids' names down because they all look the same and I get them mixed up. Noah, Theo, and Zoe. And Le Levi is at home sick with mom, which, as we all know, happens a lot. Um, so welcome to all of you. Thank you for... Um, for committing to us as a family. I know most of you have been a part of the congregation here for quite some time, um, but now, now you're saying you're really, really digging in, and we really appreciate that. Um, church, I just want to invite you, would you stand with us, and we're going to pray, pray for them, pray for us as a church uh, as we move forward. So Father God, I do thank you. I thank you for um, the people that call New Life their home. I thank you for the, um, the commitment that so many people have to this church, um, not just here at New Life, but your global church as well. 
the kingdom of God. Father, I pray for these families in particular today, for the Williamses, for the Stibbs, and for the Fasts. God, we thank you that they, they see value in joining us in this mission. Father, I pray that you would bless their families and protect them as they serve you, all for your glory. And God, would you just, um, just bless this church, uh, give us wisdom, uh, show us your path so that we can step into the things you want us to step into together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, hey guys, we are going to be reading from our Bibles today. Surprise, surprise. Um, so if you want to bring those out, that would be awesome. And we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 24. Verse 13. That's Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb earlier this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then... Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we talked with, while, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembling together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two of them told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them, and he broke the bread. This is God's word. Well, good morning again, everybody. If you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Luke chapter 24. 
But have you ever experienced a time when you've been looking for something and you know it's there, it's right in front of you, but you can't see it? Like I, on a morning, I kind of try and find my shoes. Like I've worn them like the previous day, so I know they're in the house, but I can't find them. You know, I, and I say to my wife, where, do you know where my shoes are? She'll be, they're in the shoe, you know, shelf. Just look at the shoe shelf. I go there, I try and find my shoes, and I'm like, Ide, they're not there, where, where are my shoes? And so she'll come out and say, oh, come on. And she'll, she'll, they're there, she'll find them for me. You know, have you, has any husbands like that? Is that just me? Yeah, thank you. My wife calls it a man scan. You've done a man scan, you know? <laughs> Like, look properly, okay? Or like, if you go in the fridge, I don't know, the ketchup, you know? Do you put ketchup in the fridge? You know, is that a, that's another question. Do you put it in the, in the fridge or the cupboard, you know? You don't buy it in the fridge, do you? You buy it on a shelf. Why do we put it? Anyhow, that's another, that's another sermon for another day. But you go in the fridge and you think it's there and you can't find it. You know, you find everything else, but whatever you're looking for. Do you ever find things like that in life? It's frustrating where you can't see something, but you know it's there or you're told it's there. Does this ever happen to the big things in life, perhaps, when we're looking for something important and we just can't see it? How about in our relationship with God? We know God is there, but we can't sense his presence. We look for him and we're told by pastors and people who are perhaps more spiritually attuned that he's there, but we just can't. Feel him or sense him or see him for ourselves. And instead of sensing God, you feel like he's gone. And when you can't see God or sense Christ's presence, well, what should you do? It's a pretty dark place to be. But it's very similar to two people that we're going to be looking at this morning who have been following Jesus, but they don't seem to find Jesus Christ in their situation. And thank you, Isaac, for reading our passage this morning. And we're going to be looking, if you've got the Bibles, turn at Luke 24, and we're going to start at verse 13. And it says this, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. Now, first thing, that same day. What, what same day? What day is it today? It is the day of the Christ's resurrection. So Jesus Christ has rose again. On that same day, Jesus rose again. He goes on and he meets these two travelers. Who are they? Two of them, it says. Who are two of them? Well, they are Jesus' followers. They believe in Jesus, perhaps Jesus' disciples. Verse 18, it says, one of them named Cleopas. I think it's interesting. Cleopas might be referenced somewhere else in scripture. It could be referenced in John 19.25. It says in John 19.25, when Jesus Christ was on the cross, there were people at the foot of the cross. There was Jesus' mother, Mary. There was Jesus' sister. There was Mary, the wife of Clopas or Cleopas. And there's, who was the fourth one? There was John 19.25, and there was, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Madeline. Loads of Marys in there. And that could be, I'm not saying it is. 
it could be the King James Version translates it as the same person. So Cleopas could be a very, it could be a relative of Jesus. He could be a, certainly a follower of Jesus. We know that he's lived life with Jesus. He knows Jesus. He has a high respect for Jesus because he goes on and he says in verse 19, this is how he describes Jesus. He says, and this is about Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all of the people. And so he knows Jesus, but whoever he could be, he has walked with him, he's experienced him, he has, you know, ate with him, gone through life together with Jesus. He's been around a lot, whoever he might be, he's been with Jesus a lot. And yet, in verse 17, it says um, that they were downcast. As they're walking away from Jerusalem, they're sad, they're downcast, they're disappointed, about how things have turned out. They're walking back to Emmaus. They're leaving Jerusalem. They're walking the seven-mile road back to Emmaus. Seven miles, how long did that take? Two, three hours to walk? They're walking home despondent. And Jesus walks alongside them and asks them, what are you talking about? And then verse 18, I love it. Cleopas says, what? Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem? Do you not know the things that have happened over these last few days? He's saying, he's saying to Jesus, where on earth have you been these last few days? I can imagine Jesus, well, let me tell you where I've been these last few days. It started Thursday night and I was arrested in the garden. I can imagine Jesus, he didn't say this, but I can imagine him inside saying, and then I was taken and I was taken to a home. And I was tried out of hours. And then I was beaten. I was struck. And I was sent around for interrogation and brought before Pilate. Then I was tried and beaten again and flogged and hung on a cross. And on that cross, I died. I gave up my last breath. And then on the Sunday, I rose again. I imagine Jesus wanting to say, and where have you been these last few days? Although they knew Jesus, although they've walked and lived with Jesus, they didn't recognize him. Why? Well, perhaps God did not want them to recognize them. Verse 16 goes along and it says this, but they were kept from recognizing him. The original language conveys a sense that they were kept from recognizing Jesus because God perhaps had a purpose in blinding their eyes from reality. Jesus is not being cruel here, but I think his gradual rev revelation of himself allows them to learn certain lessons about trusting in God's promises. The disciples had been told about these events and about these times and they still did not understand them. How many sermons have we learned and listened to over the years? And there's still so much that we have to learn and God is guiding us. We're not the finished article. Perhaps God is more to reveal to us today. We think we know it all. 
but we're still learning. Each and every one of us, God has so much to teach us, and Christ here is continuing to teach these disciples. God has something to do in their lives. Let me encourage us. God continues to teach us every day if we're willing to listen. So perhaps God intentionally didn't want them to recognize him for that reason. But secondly, perhaps they just didn't understand. They didn't, their expectations didn't happen as planned. They had this preconceived idea of who Jesus was, what he had come to do, and how he should do it. They expected this Jesus Christ to come in, the Messiah, to come in and get rid of, you know, the, the Roman authorities and to free them, to be the people that God wanted them to be, but that hadn't happened. And I believe that this is an issue for Christians today. We too have a preconceived idea of who God is and what he should be doing in our lives. And then when those preconceived ideas don't happen, it's so easy for us to become despondent about God. It's so easy to craft our own version of God and the Lord Jesus Christ rather than what Scripture teaches us. So for these two walking, when things, things didn't turn out the way they expected, what did they do? I think they're, they're leaving Jerusalem. Why did they leave Jerusalem? They're walking away. They're walking away from where the believers are. They're walking away from perhaps where God is calling them. And they're, they're walking away. They're going back home to Emmaus. Literally, the day that Christ is risen again. They're missing out on the greatest moment in history because their expectation of God didn't match what they thought it should. And I think that's so easy for us today as Christians to do exactly the same thing. Unfortunately, many Christians give up following Jesus or they leave the church because experience didn't match up to what they think, think that should. And I think, unfortunately, too many people have lost the faith because of that reason alone. Too many Christians leave the church, leave the strength of being part of the family. That's where the people were, right? That's where the church was in Jerusalem. And they're leaving that strength, they're leaving that power. You know, my encouragement is this, just keep coming to church. New Life is such a good church. My wife and I, we've come, we've only been here, what, four weeks now? And we feel such part of this community. Uh, any, your church is a place where we can come together, we can encourage each other, we can strengthen each other. And these disciples are leaving that. Perhaps they didn't, they left Jerusalem because they just didn't understand who Jesus is because they, know, they didn't understand the scriptures. So keep reading the Bible. So they didn't recognize Jesus because God didn't want them to because they had their, perhaps their own preconceived idea of Jesus. But also, I think they had perhaps little faith in God. Verse 22, it says, um, they say to Jesus this, in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning. It amazed them. They went to the tomb and the Messiah had risen. Why did it amaze them? Surprise! You know, they'd been expecting this, that Christ would rise again. He even said it. 
that this temple would be destroyed and it would rise again in three days. Verse 24, and some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. It was empty. And Jesus is like, oh my goodness, you know, I've just wasted three years of my life teaching these people. Still don't get it. And then verse 25, Jesus said to them, how foolish you are. Now in the Jewish context, foolish isn't stupid. It's not intellectually, you know, uh, unintelligent. It's a more of a moral assertion. You know, you're just, you're just, you're not getting this. It's a moral accusation. It says in the Bible, for it's foolish to say in his heart that there is no God. These disciples didn't understand who Jesus Christ truly was. And even though that these two knew the Old Testament prophecies, they'd failed to understand the gospel. Jesus had to die and rise again for redemption. And they couldn't understand why God didn't stop the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. They were caught up in the world's admiration of, of power and military might. And they couldn't, perhaps they were unprepared for the reversal of God's kingdom and having the faith in the, in, in the teaching of Jesus Christ. Jesus said this, he says, I have come to give life. He hasn't come to kind of combat the Romans or he hadn't come to do whatever the Jewish people wanted him to do. He'd come that we may have life and have life to the full, abundant life. And these disciples just didn't get it. Listen, the world hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Humanity still trusts in our self, in our own intellect, in who we are and what we can accomplish. It's own wisdom. We continue to strive in our own autonomy and do what we feel is right because we are right. Let's not be foolish. If there's anything in this passage that kind of encourages me is to continue to trust in Jesus Christ in all things. What do we put our trust in? Do we trust in God? Or do we put our trust in ourselves? I tell you what, if I put myself, trust in myself, I will let myself down on a daily basis. Ask my wife, she'll tell you that. Just because these two knew Jesus, knew about Jesus, it doesn't mean that they knew Jesus. Just because they could see him doesn't mean that they could see who he was. Many people today know who Jesus is. They've heard about him. They've read about him. They use his name and even claim to know him. Yet they would not recognize him if they saw him. Their eyes have not been opened. Knowing about Jesus and knowing him as our Lord and Savior, are two very different things. And as these dejected disciples walk away from Jerusalem, Jesus gives them, I imagine, one of the greatest sermons ever told. He starts to unpack Old Testament scripture relating to who he is and why he has come. He opens their eyes to the reality of himself. 
It says in verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what it was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Imagine that. Imagine walking away to Emmaus and Jesus Christ starts to preach to you. I imagine Jesus Christ, as he unpacks the Old Testament, pointing to him, some of the passages that he might have preached. He doesn't say what he preached. I wish it did. Wouldn't it be amazing to hear one of the sermons of Jesus Christ? But I imagine he could have looked at Genesis 3.15, unpacking the, the grand narrative, the big story of God. And he starts with Genesis 3.15. He says, where God cursed the serpent, saying, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And Jesus says to them, that's me. That's referring to me. Perhaps then he goes to Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. And if you're making notes, write these Bible verses down. And it says, the Lord your God will rise up for you, a prophet like me from among your brothers. You must listen to him. And Jesus said, hey, hello. That's talking about me. Perhaps he goes to the Day of Atonement in Leviticus and he says about the ram that was sacrificed for the forgiveness of sins and the ram that was sent out as a scapegoat into the wilderness. And he says, I'm that scapegoat. I am the atonement. I am sacrificed for the forgiveness of all of humanity's sins. Perhaps there to Isaiah 7:14, where God says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive have a son and name him Emmanuel. And from there, Jesus could have taken them to Isaiah 53, verse three. It says, where he was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like the one people turned away. He was despised and we did not value him. The last three days, he could have said to them, shows exactly that, these prophecies coming true. Perhaps Jesus showed them what Isaiah 53 verse seven says. He was oppressed and afflicted and yet did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before his shearers, he did not open his mouth. Perhaps Jesus then continued to quote Zechariah 12 verse 10. Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and pray on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem and they will look at me whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn. Jesus is walking through the scriptures with these two disciples saying, be encouraged. The Messiah has arrived and I'm here and I have fulfilled everything that God has asked me to fulfill. We know that Jesus walked with them through the entirety of the revelation to show how it gave witness to who he was, why he had come, and why it was necessary. Jesus wanted them to see that if they would only believe what the scriptures say about him, they would understand why he came and why he had to suffer. They would have known who he was. I want to 
tell us this morning, and it's a message that you hear often, I imagine, but how important Scripture is in our lives. If you want to know God, you find Him in Scripture. If you want to know the presence of God, the living Scripture is there, pointing us to a relationship with Him. Living Scripture gives us testimony and truth to the full nature of Jesus Christ, and it leads us into a personal relationship with Jesus. And we all agree with that, right? Anyone disagree with that? We believe it, right? Okay. You see, God still uses the Bible today to open the eyes of those who do not know him and to continue to reveal himself to those who, who do know him. And I think, how exciting is that? That God who made heaven and earth, who created all things, who died on the cross so that my sins can be forgiven, continues to reveal himself to me through his living word. You see, Scripture says in John 5, 46, for if you believe Moses, then you believe me because he wrote about me. Word of God is such a powerful, wonderful thing and it points us towards Jesus and who he is and how we can know him. And we all agree that that's the purpose of scripture, right? But here's the rub. Here's the challenge. Many of us approach the Bible like, oh, I've got to read the Bible. Oh, it's like such a burden. Oh, you know, it's so heavy and I don't understand it. Or oh, where do I even start to read the Bible? But if we begin to understand the big picture of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, that it all points towards Jesus Christ and it all points to us having a relationship with him, it'll be a lot more impactful, applicable and inspiring in our own lives. You see, history is not about us. It's not about me. But the God of history can use us to fulfill his grand universal plan in our Highly individualistic culture, it's important to realize that the story of the universe isn't about us, but it's about the glory of God. And the glory of God is detailed in here, in the Bible. Hebrews 4, 12. I want to quote it, but I don't want to get it wrong. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 4 even, 12. Hebrews 4, 12 tells us. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That one verse, isn't it? Oh, it's up there. Isn't it captivating how deep penetrating the word of God can be? how much God can speak into our lives and transform us. You see, the, the words of man can be, it, it might inform us, but the word of God can transform us. The word of man can inform us, but the word of God can transform us. How important is scripture to us? 
And many of us don't even read it. The Bible is alive and it transforms and it renews, it reveals to us who God is. The Word of God is not simply a collection of words from, from God, but it is also a lot more than that. It is living, it is life-changing, it is dynamic and it works in us. You see, Jesus is unpacking Scripture to these two despondent, disappointed disciples. They're leaving Jerusalem, I imagine, I can't prove this, but I imagine they're leaving Jerusalem because, you know, they've just maybe given up. Like, ah, oh, what's the point? It tells us that they're disappointed. They're despondent. We're going to go home, get back to our normal lives. And Jesus meets with them. And we see here the transformation. They move from despondent spirits. And then they have their hearts burning within them when God is speaking to them. Then their eyes are opened when they have communion with God. And then their feet are rushing away. They rush to go and tell other people the good news that Jesus is alive. They've encountered him. They've encountered him through the word of God. They've encountered him in person. And then they go, they're excited again. The word of God has kind of brought, it fanned in a flame, this desire in their hearts to go and tell other people about Jesus Christ. And that's the power of scripture. It can do that for us today as well. The word, sorry, I'm getting excited about the Bible here. I'll try, and re I'll try and calm down a little bit. The word of man can inform, but the word of God can transform. Thank you. Preach it, brother. <laughs> Luke wants us to go to the scriptures to encounter Jesus Christ. The more we understand God's word, the more our hearts will burn within us for God. You want a sense of God's presence? You want to know who Jesus Christ is? You want to know that he's alive? Dive into God's word. When you can't see Jesus, when you don't find that presence, when you're looking for him and you can't find him, God's given us the tools to do that in his word. The gospel is the good news that the hero of the story is alive and well. And now, as you go back through scriptures, you can't help but read them in the light of the good news. It's all about Jesus. It's all pointing to our need for Jesus. It's all about his coming savior who is going to pay the ultimate sacrifice. It's all about Jesus, his suffering, his death, his life-giving resurrection so that anyone who repents of their sins and puts their faith and trust in him will one day rise again too. You see, this earth is just a temporary measure of what we're going to experience for all eternity in his presence but we have to put our trust in him first but while we're here we have that living Christ living in us guiding us empowering us with his living word God is good let me ask you a question this morning <clears throat> are you frustrated or discouraged Are you in a position where you're not experiencing the presence of God? Well, let me encourage you, turn to the Bible. When you can't see Jesus Christ in your life, look to scriptures, to his resurrection. Where are you in the journey today? Are you despondent, discouraged? Are you leaving Jerusalem? Has it been a tough two or three years since the pandemic? Are you going through difficult times? Are you having trouble at work, at home, with the kids? 
Does God feel so distant from you right now? Let me encourage you. Turn to scriptures. I've discovered something in Canada called uh, Tim Hortons. It's good. Not as good as the Bible. It's, it's good. And it's full of these little treats inside, right? I like these ones. Just for reference, you know, if it's my birthday, I like, I like these ones with the little sprinkles on. Don't give me chocolate ones. They're like, they're wrong, okay? You don't have chocolate donuts. Who does that, right? Canadians. But sprinkles. I like Tim Hortons. I like uh, these little donuts. They're pretty awesome. I come into the office and they are there on the desk. And I eat them. And then I eat more. And I eat about six more. And I'm just like, they're so addictive, right? But they're not very good for me. Anyone disagree? No, Tim Hortons are not healthy. I, I can survive on Tim Hortons, I guess. I you know. If I eat them, I can eat Tim Hortons and I can live on them. But if I lived on Tim Hortons Timbits for the rest of my life, I would be pretty unhealthy, wouldn't I? I cannot survive on sprinkles and fat. As good as they are, I can't. They're just a little treat. The thing is, as Christians, we do exactly the same with God. We live on little bite-sized chunks of the Word of God. We'll read our little devotion in the morning, which is good. It's a good thing to do. Timbits are good. I like timbits, right? But you can't, I can't survive on them. I need my vegetables. I need my meat. I need a healthy, balanced diet. The thing is, many Christians, we survive on Bible bits. Little snippet here, we come on a Sunday morning. We, we don't even bring our Bibles. We, uh, we perhaps read our little thought for the day. And that's it. What set me for the day? I've read a verse and that's it for the... And I'm not being... I don't want to be heavy-handed here. I asked the worship team, just pray, I'm not heavy-handed. But I, I think it's important that we don't survive on these Bible bits in our lives. We've got to go deeper in Scripture. If you only do a little bit of a devotion, Bible bits every day, are we going to be healthy as Christians? Perhaps discuss that in your groups this week. My encouragement for us is to look what Paul says. Paul says, don't just survive on spiritual milk, but keep going deeper with God. You know, we need to experience that meat of Scripture and Bible study in our own lives. And you may not know where to start, that's fine. You may be scared of the Bible, and that's fine. You may not think, I'm not a theologian or an academic, and that's fine too. The Bible's for everybody, and that's why we have a church. You know, uh, come to speak to the elders, and they'll tell you how to read the Bible. That's what they're there for. Come speak to me or somebody else. There's loads of materials. Go speak to Andy Thomas or, you know, one of the staff. And he worked in a Bible school for many years. There are many people in the congregation. Speak to your house churches. How do you continue growing in the word of God? My encouragement is this. 
Today is an opportunity to know and love the Word of God more than ever before. God's story reminds us that we're not the center of the universe. When we realize this important truth, we position ourselves better to serve, love, and live for God. If you're encouraged, if you're discouraged today and you feel like you're leaving Jerusalem and heading toward Emmaus, then my encouragement is this. Just dig a little bit deeper in Scripture today, the living Word of God. We're going to just continue our time of worship now. I'm going to pray and then hand over to the band. And if you want to come down and you feel God is distant from you or you're not experiencing him like the way you want to, there's going to be a prayer team at the front. Come and receive prayer. But we're also going to take communion. Our communion servers are going to come out now and they're going to be there. And I think communion is a great way as well just to kind of remind ourselves of what Jesus Christ did for us and who he is. Let's pray and then we'll continue in our worship this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you that we can experience you and learn from you and continue to grow with you through your scriptures, through the Bible. And it's not always easy and we don't always understand it. But I pray, Lord, Heavenly Father, that we do not get overwhelmed with this wonderful gift. But each day, bit by bit, day by day, as we continue to unpack it a bit more and learn a bit more, that together we can just, as a church, continue to experience your presence in our lives. What a wonderful God you are. We love you so much, Lord. Amen.